Hey guys, this is the Simple Power Podcast where we think practically about the presence and the power of God. I'm Duke Lamastra, I'm your host, and it's awesome that you're here. We're gonna get into something today that I believe is going to bring major freedom into your life. Maybe for some of you, freedom unlike anything that you've ever experienced before. And what I wanna talk to you about this week is that the victory that Jesus won on the cross, the victory that he obtained through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. His victory is your victory. Now, just before we jump into it, I do just want to remind you that I have some other resources available to you. You can visit my website at simplepowermedia.com, and there you can find all kinds of additional resources to help you grow and really advance in this area of your walk with the Lord and experiencing God's presence and power in your life in personal and practical ways. And hey, guys, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already subscribed to the Simple Power Podcast, Make sure that you subscribe if you get anything out of this week's episode. And, you know, I'm always looking to to increase and to reach more people and just to impact the lives of more and more people with these simple truths. I appreciate you so much for being a part of this and listening and, and for sharing and all of that kind of stuff. But I just want to remind you, if you get anything out of this, if you would consider sharing it with somebody that you think could benefit from it as well, or maybe even sharing it on your own social media page or something like that, just so that we can reach more people. And thank you so much for partnering with me in that way. All right, guys. Well, I'm locked and loaded. I've got a new King James. I've got a Passion Bible. I'm ready to jump into some stuff today. If you have access to a Bible right now, even if it's on your phone or whatever, if you can, if you're not driving or something like that, if you can go ahead and pull out your Bible and open to Colossians chapter 2, I'm pretty sure we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 the whole time, but there's a block of verses that I want to read to you that, in my opinion, they're some of the most action-packed verses of the New Testament, at least, and I really believe that that you're going to uh, see something that that's going to bring freedom into your life. So I want to start reading to you. Let me just go ahead and start in verse 11. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 says these words, In him you were also circumcised. And right now I'm reading from the New King James. With the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So check this out. This verse is saying that we were buried with Christ in baptism, that when we're baptized, it represents our death, our burial, and our resurrection. When we go down into the water, the idea is that the water completely washes over us, that we're completely submerged, that the idea is that we disappear, and you don't see me anymore when I was baptized. You don't see me anymore. You see the water for just a split second. And when I come up, I'm a new creation. Now, of course, it's not the baptism itself that saves you. The baptism is your public declaration, and it's an identification with Jesus Christ. It's representative of what has taken place. I don't believe that baptism is... Uh, something that is optional for the believer. I believe that we are commanded in scripture to be baptized. And so I think that as soon as you have the opportunity after you get saved to be baptized, you should go ahead and be baptized. But the baptism itself is not what saves you. It is your faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God that you are saved, right? But baptism, in baptism, we it's symbolic of our death, our burial, and our resurrection. So this verse is saying that we were buried 
with Christ. Now let's keep going. Verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now I didn't stutter. That's what that verse actually says. It says that God has forgiven you of all of your trespasses, not just some of them, not just the ones that you would maybe consider that are easy for you to forgive, not just, but by the way, trespasses think sin. Okay. Trespasses sin. He's forgiven you of all of your sin. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you're doing. There's nothing that you're going to do in the future that is exempt from that list. God loves you so much and his sacrifice of his son on the cross was so perfect and so complete and so sufficient that Romans even tells us in Romans chapter 5 that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, where, where sin abounds, where there is sin, the grace of God is there in your life, active. He's not trying to leave you in your sin or just brush it over or sweep it under the rug or anything like that. Let me just deal with this now. Should you stop sinning? Yes, of course you should stop sinning. But you have already been forgiven of all of your sin. And what that actually means is that your sin does not separate you from God. Now, when you were unsaved, you were lost. You were without hope, Ephesians tells us. That you actually were separated from God. But now in Christ, you are a new creation. You actually do not have a sinful nature anymore. I know a lot of people like to say this thing like, oh, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Or I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Like, I get it. But the thing is, you are not a nobody anymore. You are not a sinner. You are in Christ and you are a new creation. Now, do you still have issues? Yes, I do too. Do you still have problems? Yes, I do too. But the thing is, you don't have a sin nature anymore. We've got to stop blaming the devil and blaming a sinful nature that doesn't exist anymore for the sinful problems and habits and things like that. Why? Because it's just not helpful. And it leads to legalism, which is what we're going to see in just a minute. But look, he made you alive together with him. You were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ and you have been raised to life with Christ. You have been made alive. That's good news. You've been made alive with Jesus Christ. And so you get to walk in that newness of life. Earlier in this same chapter, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, you've received Christ, so walk in him. Walk in this newness of life that you have because it is a choice. You know, I can... I can Go to bed at night saying, I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus and wake up feeling lousy and then just never really snap out of it. And I can walk through my entire day just feeling defeated and feeling like I'm a disappointment and feeling like God doesn't love me and feeling like I'm separated from God or that I'm distant. But just because I feel that way does not make it so. So what I've got to do is I've got to make the decision to remember, hold on a second, Jesus actually dealt with all of this when he died on the cross, was buried, and he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. And gospel means good news. This is good news. When Jesus gave his life in your place and mine, he dealt with all of that. 
He dealt with those nasty feelings that you feel sometimes. He dealt with the guilt and the condemnation. And yes, he dealt with the punishment. He took, you remember him dying on the cross and receiving all those beatings and lashes and the nails and the crown of thorns and all that? That was your punishment. That's what you deserved and it's what I deserved. But he took it for us. He paid the price for us so that we never have to pay the penalty of our own sins. So stop beating yourself up. That's all you're doing. When you're beating yourself up and living in guilt and condemnation and shame and all that stuff, you're basically saying, well, I deserve to feel bad for this. I deserve to be punished. I deserve this because I messed up and because I did. Look, it doesn't matter. Yeah, before Christ, you deserved it. But he's already taken the penalty and paid the price for you once and for all. He has forgiven you of all of your trespasses. Good news. All right, guys. Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Remember that thing called the law? That was the Old Testament. That was the Old Covenant. But we are in a new covenant. Remember when Jesus sat down with his disciples on the night of his betrayal? You can see it in John chapter 13. And you can see it in all of the other Gospels as well. That that on that night that Jesus sat with his disciples, the night of his betrayal, before he would be delivered up to be crucified, he met with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he took a cup and he passed it around. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was establishing this new covenant and it was completed when he died on that cross, when he rose from the dead and he ascended to his father. We live in a new covenant. It's a covenant based on grace. It's a covenant that's established on better promises according to the writer of the book of Hebrews. It's a covenant that is sealed in the blood of Jesus. And that's a completed thing. It's a completed sacrifice. We don't have to crucify our flesh anymore because it's already been crucified. That's already been done away with. And so what's left is the renewing of our mind, bringing our mindset and our way of thinking into alignment with his finished works for us, but it's all based on his finished works. He did it all for us. He completed it for us. He took away that handwriting of requirements, that law, all those things, 613 Old Testament laws that had to be fulfilled. And if you messed up in one part, you were guilty of the whole thing. No one could do that. Nobody did it except for Jesus because he came and he fulfilled the law and he did it perfectly. He did it so that you don't have to. Romans 5 verse 19 says that his obedience is your obedience, that by his obedience that many will be made righteous. You are made righteous because of Jesus being obedient in your place, fulfilling a law, fulfilling a covenant that you couldn't fulfill, that I couldn't fulfill. There was condemnation against us. There was a death sentence against us because of all of our sin and because of all of our mistakes. But Jesus, once and for all, he wiped out that handwriting of requirements that was against us. He nailed it to the cross. Remember, you were crucified with Christ. When he died on that cross, when he hung on that cross, even though you weren't even born yet in terms of chronology of time, you were there with him on that cross. You hung there on that cross and he died in your place. Your penalty, your punishment is completely paid. Now, let's move on to verse 15, because here is where I really want to base this discussion today. 
having disarmed principalities and powers, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus made a public spectacle of the principalities and the powers, the demonic forces. He made a public spectacle of them. Now, let's think back to the cross. And our perfect savior, our, our perfect king, hanging on that cross, right? Beaten beyond recognition, absolutely tortured. But here's the thing. The, the, the Roman establishment of crucifixion, it wasn't just about a, a penalty. It wasn't just about being tortured. It was also about public humiliation. You were tortured to death. Yeah, it was a death by slow suffocation, but it was also a public disgrace and humiliation. When Jesus hung on that cross, he was stripped naked. He was naked. Now, I I know that might sound blasphemous to some people for me to say, but Jesus was, I know we've seen the movies and he's always got on that that cloth, you know, covering the, the glory parts. But listen, that's movie. That's because they don't want to rate the movie R or X or whatever. They want to make it watchable for kids and everything else. But that wasn't, he was naked. He hung on that cross completely exposed. He carried his own cross all the way up that hill to Calvary. He carried his own, well, he had, he had some help along the way, but he carried that cross and it was a public disgrace, a public humiliation. Our King, our Savior, the Lamb of God. And guess what? God, the Father allowed that to happen. God the Father allowed Jesus to go through that public humiliation and disgrace. You know why? So that you would never have to experience that for yourself. Now, of course, people can have their opinions and you can make a fool of yourself and you can embarrass yourself and all that kind of stuff. But the word of God says that he will never allow you to be put to shame. And as long as we keep our perspective right and we focus on what really matters and what's really important, which is our Heavenly Father's concept of who we are, because that's where we understand our identity. It's in what God says about you, not in what other people say about you. So I don't care if you messed up, you did something stupid and you, you know, get the red cheeks and, you know, me, my ears always get red when I feel embarrassed. I'm really white. And so it's obvious, but like, it's not necessary to live in disgrace and shame and humiliation. Definitely not because of your sin or past mistakes or anything like that. Why? Because he's already wiped out that handwriting of requirements that was against you. And he has set you absolutely 100% free. So Jesus, he actually, the Bible says he became a curse. It might sound sacrilegious for some other people for me to say that, but it's what the Bible says. He became a Cursed. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He did that for you. He did that for me. He took that, the worst things that we've ever done. He's taken all of it and he took it upon his shoulders and he hung on that cross and he became a curse. So now while all this is going on, of course, the devil and his little minions, his demons and whatever, of course, they're thinking this is great. We finally beat God, the son of God, the perfect one. He came and he gave his life and he died and they killed him and all this stuff. And it was great. They were thinking that it was great. And for a split second, they thought that they had won. 
But here's the deal. If you've ever wondered what Jesus did during those three days from the time that he died to when he resurrected. And I know we like to talk about, you know, when Easter comes around, it's he died on Good Friday, Friday evening, and he and he woke up early Sunday morning. But guess what? <laughs> Jesus said that he would be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And I, I, there's no way to, if you get Friday night, you got Saturday morning, you got Saturday night and Sunday morning. That's only two days, no matter how you look at it. So Anyway, it's fine if you want to think that Jesus died on Friday and woke up on Sunday, but that's not probably entirely accurate. He was in the ground or in the tomb, in the grave for three days and three nights. What did he do during that time? Where was he? Well, this verse, there's some other verses that talk about it too. This verse tells us about what Jesus was doing after he died before he rose a dead, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When did that happen? When did Jesus go and kick the enemy's butt? Listen, after Jesus, he died on the cross. And remember, he, he, he hung up on that cross naked, exposed, disgraced, his body torn apart, his having been beaten beyond recognition. And as he's hanging on that cross, the last words that he utters out of his mouth are, it is finished. And then he died on that cross and his lifeless body hung there. But Jesus went to crash the devil's party where he thought he was celebrating this great victory. We, we killed him. We finally beat God. We inspired all these people. We put these evil thoughts. We inspired Judas. We put the evil thoughts into Judas's heart and he conspired with the religious leaders and we got the Romans involved. And, and so, and so we, we killed Jesus. Jesus is dead. And so he's thinking that he's celebrating this great victory, but Jesus crashes that party. He crashes that celebratory party And now he's not just a suffering savior on a cross, but our triumphant Lord and savior, our triumphant king, our victorious king. And he beats the, excuse my language, the crap out of the devil. Check this out. I'm going to read it again. He disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them. So they thought that they had this great victory, this public disgraceful spectacle of Jesus hanging on that cross. Well, guess what? That, 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 uh, seemed what seemed like a defeat, that disgrace, that becoming a curse, that was victory. Uh, you know, I pray that when we get to heaven, that, that the father has the Blu-ray or the, the ultra HD version of whatever took place that day because I'm pretty sure it was an epic beatdown. But here's the deal. Jesus made a public spectacle of them, stripped the devil naked, paraded him around, made it obvious that he had been defeated. He uses the word there that they've been disarmed, that their weapons have been taken away. They've been rendered helpless They've been rendered without power. Now, here's the deal. They have no power over you. The devil has no power over the believer. The devil has no power. He does not have power over your life. He doesn't. You are in Christ. 
You're a new creation. You've been set free. You have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. You are one with God, seated with Christ in heavenly places. The devil is under your feet. He has been defeated. He's been destroyed. He's been disarmed once and for all. So guess what? You don't have to live under that sin anymore. He's got, look, here's what he's got. He's got lies. We all know what his lies are like. He lies to you all day long. Something bad happens. And all of a sudden it's, oh, well, how's God going to get me out of this? I guess I can't really trust God. I guess this is going to happen. I guess my life is falling apart. Right? It's just that spiral of lies. That's what he has. That's what he throws at you. Lies and threats. But guess what? It's, he's shooting blanks at you, man. That's all it is. He's shooting blanks because you have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You've been forgiven every single trespass. It's all been taken care of. It's all been wiped out. You do not have to fear the enemy and you do not have to respond to his lies, to the fear tactics, to all that stuff because it's nothing but smoke and mirrors because as a child of God, you are in Christ. Christ is in you. You have experienced freedom. And whom the Son is set free is free indeed. The victory that Jesus won that day and that he lorded over the devil and his minions that day, that victory is yours. Here's the deal. I guarantee you the devil remembers that day really, really well. I guarantee you he's feeling disgraced. He's feeling like, oh, everybody's, all my, all all my followers here, all these demons, like they've all seen me naked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like they, they've, they've all, they've all seen Jesus, the King of Kings triumph over me. They know they have no hope. They know they have nowhere to go, but down. They have nowhere to go, but the lake of fire. They have nowhere to go. They remember that day. And that's why he fights so hard to keep you in bondage, to keep you in fear, to keep you ignorant to the reality of what Jesus has accomplished through you, the reality of his finished works and what they actually mean for your life and for your victory and for your future and for all of it. He wants to keep you ignorant of those things because the more you come into the fullness of your identity and who you are as a child of God, and you take authority over the lies of the enemy, he just remembers over and over again that day that his world was shattered and Jesus triumphed over all of them and made a public spectacle of them. I'm telling you, this is good news. You have freedom in Christ Jesus. His victory is your victory. Now, I want to read a couple more verses, and I'm wrapping up here, but I want to read a couple more verses because I think it's really interesting where this goes. Because like I said, I think that these are some really action-packed verses that really talk about what Jesus did for us, what he accomplished for us, our new life in him, the fact that he put the enemy to an open display of shame. That's what those words actually mean. I'm not just making stuff up here. That's what those words actually mean. But where this goes from here is really interesting. So let me read verse 15 one more time, and I'm going to read into verse 16. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let me keep going. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind 
I'd like to continue reading uh, there, but actually I want to read the, a couple of verses here out of the Passion Translation. So I'm going to start again in verse 15. I know this is probably like the eighth time I've read this by now, but Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, I really want you to get this. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. That gives you a better picture right there of what we were talking about. Maybe you've seen those movies or those TV shows. I'm not going to mention some of these shows, but, but maybe you've seen in a movie or something like that where an enemy was defeated or there was a prisoner and they stripped them naked and they paraded them through town and maybe there were people around throwing stuff at them and and stuff like that. The point was to put them to open shame, to make a spectacle of them. That's what this is talking about. Jesus was not their prisoner. They were his. They thought they won, but they were wrong. Jesus crashed their party and put them to open shame as he triumphed over them. Verse 16, so why would you allow anyone to judge you because of what you eat or drink or insist that you keep the feasts, observe new moon celebrations or the Sabbath? Now, I am in, by no means, I'm not putting down anybody's uh, beliefs and I'm not um, putting down anybody's, you know, I know that there's a lot of Christians, a lot of believers out there that still like to follow the Old Testament um, sort of feasts and the Sabbaths and they celebrate the Passover and uh, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles and all these different things. And um, years ago, I, I, I did those things too. And I definitely see the, the merit in those things. So here's the deal. I'm not putting down any of that. But I've been hearing people lately talking about how, you know, as Christians, if we're not following or observing these Old Testament feasts and celebrations, then we're not living up to the fullness of what we're supposed to be doing, that it makes us less of a Christian or something like that. That if we're not observing the Sabbath properly and and things like that, that we're not living up to what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. And here's the thing. Paul is saying, look, don't let other people judge you. And I just think it's so interesting that the, the, the placing of this verse, it's right after all of this incredible things about what Jesus did to kick the enemy's butt and make him look like a loser. He's like, hey, so look, don't let anybody judge you. Don't come under the judgment of somebody else. Don't allow anybody else to put their own uh, perception of things on you and say, this is what you have to do. This is what's required of you. If you don't do this, you're not a good Christian, right? I mean, what's what's the point of that? Now, let me, let me keep reading. Let me keep reading. I'm going to go back to the New King James because it's just a little bit faster here. So uh, verse 19, now let me start in verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. All these things that we do that have an appearance of wisdom, but they're nothing more than religious acts or religious exercises, things that we feel like we have to do. You know what you have to do as a child of God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up all of the law into two commandments. We're supposed to love him. We're supposed to believe him. But look, all of these things that we put on, well, you're not a good Christian if you don't do this. How many of you have ever heard something like this? And you call yourself a Christian. 
How can you be a Christian? How can you say you're a Christian and act like this? And putting stuff on you that has no business being on you. Now look, should you stop sinning? I think I already asked you at the beginning. Yeah. If you're doing something that you know is wrong, should you stop? Yeah. But not because you have to or you're condemned. Not because that's going to send you to hell. Because Jesus already dealt with that. He already forgave you of all of it. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And so, again, I'm not bad-mouthing any of the, the feasts or the festivals or anything like that. But in as much as, you know, I don't believe that, that we should put anybody else down for wanting to celebrate those things, definitely shouldn't put anybody down for not seeing the need to adhere to those things. The, the, this scripture is very clear that those things were a shadow of things to come. But the fullness, the substance is in Christ Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the entire old covenant law. And so here's my stance on it. You know, if you want to follow, whether it's the feast of Passover, celebrate, all that kind of stuff. My only question is, and this is my question with anything. What is your, what's the motive? What's the motivation of your heart? Lots of people read the Bible, but the motive sucks. Lots of people go to church, but the motive isn't good. You know, I mean, if your motive is because you feel like you have to or you're a bad Christian, and I don't blame you for that. Somebody probably put that on you or told you that 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 was the case. Remember, this is about freedom. I want you to be free. Not free just to, you know, have the attitude that I get to do whatever I want because I'm under grace and because Duke said that I don't have to do any of these things. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you are free to love the Lord and to live for him based on what he accomplished and completed for you in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and in his ascension and glorification with the Father in heaven. I mean, why? He's like, Paul's like, why? If you've been set free from these things, why do you put yourself under bondage? If you've been set free from these things, why do you grab hold of these things and try to allow these things to govern your life? You know what should govern your life? The grace of God. The finished works of Jesus Christ, the freedom that he came to secure for you, that's what should govern your life. And that's where you experience peace and joy and freedom and rest. And that's where you're really freed up to give yourself fully to him. You know, he's not a restrictive God. He's not trying to limit you. He's not trying to hold you back from things. He wants you to experience life and joy and peace. And so I started talking about motive. Let me go back to that and finish that thought and I'll wrap this up. If the motive is wrong, I mean, if my motive for going to church is, well, because I have to, because I'm not a good Christian if I don't, I mean, fine, whatever. God can still bless you if you go to church for that reason. But a much better reason, a much better motivation is, no, I go to church. I uh, take communion I read the Bible, I spend time in prayer, I celebrate this holiday or this feast or this festivity or whatever, I celebrate these things, I I, I do these things or I don't do these things. Why? Because it enhances my relationship with him. I don't fast because I have to, but because I, I want to enhance my relationship with him because I want to grow in my relationship with him. And so we do things. So I'm not putting down spiritual disciplines. I'm not 
again, saying that it doesn't require anything. All I'm saying is, what's the motivation behind it? Because God wants you to walk in freedom. And whenever you live under bondage, it has, like that last verse that we read, verse 23, these things have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, but they're really not helpful. They don't do anything for you. You know, anything that I try to do in my own strength because, oh, I just got to do it. I just got to power through. I just got to have willpower. I just got to press through. I just got to do it. That becomes something that I have to maintain for the rest of my life in my own strength. But if I would just let that go and rely on the grace of God and really put my faith and my hope and my trust in my perfect Savior who beat the crap out of the devil on my behalf, who gave his life on the cross for me, who was buried and I was buried with him, who rose from the dead and I was raised with him and now I'm alive in Christ Jesus. Why would I surrender that or trade that for something counterfeit where it's all in my hands and I've got to work really hard to try to get something or obtain something? So all I'm saying is stop working so hard at trying to be right and stop allowing other people. People are going to do what they want, but you don't have to live under the judgment and the accusations and the perceptions and the ideologies and stuff like that of other people. Now, I'm not saying become a Lone Ranger. I believe in counselors. I believe in spiritual parents. I believe in friends that iron sharpens iron. I believe in all these things. I'm not saying don't listen to people. All I'm saying is don't receive judgment that is not founded on the word of God. Don't receive accusations because all of that power to accuse and tear down and judge and manipulate and make you live in legalism, all of that was shattered when Jesus gave his life on the cross. He defeated hell. He defeated the grave and he has set you free. His victory is your victory. Well, hey guys, really hope you got something out of that. I know I went long, uh, but I had a lot to cover. So anyway, I really appreciate you guys so much. If this did anything for you, if this helped you experience freedom in your life, even in a small way or a big way or whatever, if you disagree with me on anything, I don't care. I would just love to hear from you. Please let me know if this was helpful to you. And also let me know. Feel free to send me a message. You can, again, visit simplepowermedia.com. From there, you can send me a message or you can also link to all of my social media pages. Send me a direct message, an email, whatever. I would love to connect with you. I'd love to know if you have any questions or if there's any specific topics that you would like me to cover here in the near future. But I really appreciate you for just being a part of this. If it did anything for you, if you'd consider liking, uh, excuse me, subscribing and sharing it with somebody so that we can just help some other people get free as well. But hey, you are the best. I really appreciate you. Have an awesome week and I look forward to being back with you next time.